please turn in your Bibles to Leviticus. If you don't have a Bible and you uh, need one, there's one in front of you, and it should be on page 93. If you're visiting with us, we are in the book of Leviticus, and we've been studying Leviticus for the better part of this calendar year, and it's been very good, I think. Anyone agree? No amens, Jeff. We can't do Leviticus again. It's been very good. There's been some themes that have come up time and time again. Holiness, um, obedience, sacred, things like that being set apart. These themes that have certainly arisen. And we're in a passage of Scripture where, again, depending on your Bible, we are going to be dealing with holiness again. And so it may be a time where you would be feeling discouraged because we're repeating the same things, but let me remind you, uh, I have three boys all under the age of five, and you don't get away with ever saying one thing one time. Has any parent ever been able to say one thing one time and the kids listen? Looking for a hand. I need advice. Just one. Tom is the only one. Everybody, that's your guy if, if, you, have a, if you need parenting advice. I don't know Tom well enough to know if that's true, but by the laughs, I'm guessing it's not. <laughs> and just based on my experience. You know that we have to teach our children multiple times to learn things, and for us as children of God, that is no different. We need to hear reminders multiple times. We need to be told multiple times what God has put in His Word, and that's why being a Christian is a lifelong study of God's Word, because we don't just get it the first time. So my hope is that even though there may be some repetition in the themes and in the application of this morning, that it is a blessing uh, to you. We're going to read Leviticus chapter 22, verse 9. This is a good time to just say if you guys have been following along, and on social media anyways, we, we remind you or try to remind you to read the passage before. This would have been a great Sunday to read the passage before because Jeff gave me a chapter and a half, and we can't read all of that. For obvious reasons, we would be, that would be the sermon. So we're going to just read verse 9, and I encourage you to follow along and to read through as we walk through our outline this morning, or to read afterwards with outline in hand, uh, just to make sense of some of it, but I'm hoping to also um, do that as well this morning. So in chapter 22, verse 9, we're going to be, our, our passage is all of 21 and the first half of 22, and verse 9, I think, is where we kind of find the main thrust of this entire passage. It says this, they shall, in verse 9 of chapter 22, they shall therefore keep my charge. This is the Lord talking about the priests. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. We have seen that many times. God bless the reading of his word. So repetition, this passage of scripture is for all of Israel to know. It's not just for the priests. And the title of our sermon this morning, or of our, what we're going to be looking at, is Excellence. Excellence. Excellence is the quality of being outstanding or extremely good or excellent, being the best at something. That's what excellence means. And we all strive for excellence in different areas of our lives. Our prayer this morning is that you strive for excellence in your walk with Christ, and hopefully we see that as we walk through this morning, this idea of excellence. The priests of the Old Testament, they were called to excellence in all of life. In all of life. Excellence. 
I just want to remind you as we walk through this morning, I want to remind you of the priests and how they served and what they did, because I think that's helpful for us as we look at this passage of Scripture, which is mainly addressed to the priests. First of all, the priests were servants in God's presence, right? In Exodus 28, we read, God says to Moses, bring near to you Aaron, and he says to serve me as priests. The priests were to serve God, and they were to serve in God's presence. They were to be the ones in the temple, in the tabernacle, serving God and, and uh, meeting between God and, and his people. But they were serving in the presence of God. And in Numbers 3, we read this about the priests, how they guarded God's house. It says, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel. And any outsider who came near was to be put to death. So the priests were to guard God's sanctuary, his house, where God dwelled in the presence, where God's presence was. They were also to offer sacrifices. We know that as we've read through Leviticus and studied certainly. We know how they were to offer pure and perfect sacrifices on the altar for, before God. They were also to teach God's people about the covenant that God had set up with them. Numbers 10, verse 10 and 11 says this, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So the priests were to teach God's word and to teach God's covenant to his people. And so it was their responsibility to make sure that God's people understood the covenant, that they were walking in the covenant. And so when there was sin and when there was sin that needed to be addressed, it was the priests who were to, to come and to call them to repentance if there was and you know reading through the prophets we know how much God uses the prophets and certainly the priests to come to the nation of Israel and to call them to repentance right when they're living in sin when they're worshiping other gods and so they were calling people to repentance to fall after God to remind them of God's covenant and finally of the many things they did they interceded for God's people they interceded for God's people we just sung about how Christ interceded and mediated between God and us for us, but the priests interceded for God's people in the Old Testament. I remind you of the rebellion of Korah in number 16, where Aaron intercedes for the nation of Israel and God stops the plagues that were coming, the plagues and the death that was coming to Israel, and, and in Aaron's prayer, God stops that. They were interceding for God's people. When they would sin, when Israel would sin, the priests would make sacrifices and intercession to God on their behalf. And so Israel depended on the priests for their safety to keep the wrath of God against them stayed. They relied on the priests to be fulfilling the role that God had called them to. And the priests were held to a high standard, a very high standard, higher than the other Israelites. And it's because of the unique role and function that they had as God's chosen priests. They were required and called to live excellently. And that's where we get this word excellence this morning. To show God's people how much God valued holiness. To show God's people how much God valued, how important it was to God, holiness. His main attribute. If the priests allowed God's holy place to be defiled in their service, then in essence what they're saying is that God really does not care about holiness. If the priests didn't care about it, 
that translates to the nation of Israel that God really does not care about that either. And you can see the parallels in the Christian life that just scream at us in, in that. You know, if we don't live out what God says is holy and valuable, then how is the world going to see that and believe that about God when we try to speak to them about God? So the New Testament also gives us instruction in 1 Timothy and in Titus. We read about the qualifications for elders and deacons, and so we kind of see this parallel of, okay, there's this, there seems to be this higher standard for leaders and for the priests in the Old Testament, but I want to remind you of a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, which we preached on way back in Leviticus when we first talked about the priesthood. It, it reads this, if you don't remember, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you... He's talking about to all believers, Peter is. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, of God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The temptation this morning is for us to read this and go, hey, this is something for the priests, and therefore, you know, as a non-elder, non-pastor at Grace Baptist Church, this doesn't really apply to me kind of loosely, but as we read Second or First Peter chapter 2, I think we can make the case that this and the principles found in, this, in these chapters of Leviticus make very much application for us as well today not just if you are a leader, because all of us are leaders, as Jeff had shared when he spoke on leadership, all of us are leaders in different spheres. You may not be over a church, but you may be over a family, or you may be in your workplace. You may be a, a spiritual leader in a workplace where there are not very many Christians. And so these principles can certainly be lived out for you. And the question for us this morning is, what does your life say to the world about God and His holiness? What does your life say? Would people doubt how just and loving and caring and kind and compassionate and merciful God is because of the way that you live? Or would they see all of those good things in you and then therefore maybe understand a little bit about who God might be, the God that you serve? So as we get into our outline this morning, there's three things, there's three things that the priests, at least in our passage here, were called to be excellent in. And so I want to look at those three things. This first thing this morning is excellence in, excellence in personal life, verses 1 to 15 of chapter 21. There was, they were called to be excellent in their personal life. See, in order to follow God, you have to surrender your wants, your desires, your goals sometimes, because life is not about you when you have been bought with a price as 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, when Jesus died for you and paid the penalty for your sin, your life now is not your own. It's God's. He purchased it with the blood of His Son. And so that means that you surrender. You might have to surrender your wants, your desires, your goals. Serving God requires sacrifice. And certainly for the priests, that was true. And for us today, that is true. Serving God requires sacrifice. Which is hard when the culture around us today worships bodily autonomy and autonomy in general, but certainly bodily autonomy where you can do whatever you want with your body and with your life. Your choices and your decisions, they're up to you. You are uh, the ultimate decider of those things. and There's no ultimate authority above you. 
right? And that obviously screams in the face of a sovereign God who is in control of all things and who created you and really sustains your life and every breath that you take. You don't get to do what's most convenient or expedient for you as a follower of Christ and certainly as a priest. And so they were called to excellence in their personal life. The first way we see in verses 1 to 6 and in 10 to 12, the way the passage breaks down is basically the first uh, eight verses are about the priests, and then the, the next uh, 9 through 15 or 10 through 15 are about the high priest, which is the anointed priest, the one that would go into the Holy of Holies that one time during the year. So there, that's how this passage kind of breaks down, at least in this main first point. And we see in mourning, Coming into contact with a dead person meant that you were unclean for seven days, as we remember, as we've studied about uncleanness. And so God, in these verses, he makes exceptions for the priests. He makes exceptions for immediate family, mother and father, brothers and sisters. There's exceptions, and yet the priests were called to excellence in their holy life, except for when meeting family. They were called to refrain from being a part of preparing the body and being a part of the morning rituals that would have been during that time. They were called to, to not participate in those things unless it was for immediate family. And he's not being told he cannot, the priests are not being told that they can't be sad. That's not what, we are, what God is saying here. There was certainly opportunity to mourn. But they cannot participate in a mourning rite that would make them ritually impure and cause them to be impure and not be able to serve God's people in the temple. In verse 5, we read about engaging in mourning rites that there was prohibitions against those things because some mourning rites would have been had association to pagan worship, whether it was shaving of the head or, or cutting yourself or those kinds of things. There was associations to pagan worship, and because of that, they were called to not participate in those things. Why? To protect God's holiness, to protect what God had called them uh, to do as priests, It was more important for them to remain in the sanctuary and certainly for the high priest to remain in the sanctuary to be able to mediate for God and his people. That was more important than mourning the loss of a life of somebody maybe in the nation of Israel except for an immediate family. And as we read for the high priest, it was a little bit more strict as God has says, only for a close relative was there exceptions for the high priest. Serving God requires sacrifice. It required sacrifice for the priests and for the high priest as he served the Lord. Because we know that uncleanness is not sin. It wasn't sin to touch a dead body. It wasn't sin to come in contact with a dead body. It was just a matter of clean and uncleanness and God needing somebody to intercede for his people rather than being out of the temple for seven days because of being a part of that mourning process. So excellence in mourning, excellence of personal life. Secondly, in marriage, in verse 7 to 8 and verse 13 to 15, we see in marriage, we see God giving direction to the priests as to who they are to marry. And the idea that God is getting across is marry somebody as a priest, marry somebody who has set a similar model of purity in their life. See, divorce is not necessarily just the woman's fault. I know it kind of reads that way in in our verses as we read, but divorce is two people typically that have faults and that can't work things out, and usually it's the fault of both that results in a divorce. And so God is not demeaning or belittling divorce people and 
um, and people that are not virgins anymore and widows, as we read in these, in these verses that we have. God is not saying those people are illegitimate to be married. There was, that was obviously going on in the nation of Israel. But for the priest, there was, there was specific guidance from God as far as who they were to marry. And so the high priest was to marry only a virgin from his own people, the people of Levi, and to be a Levite. And maybe that was to protect the priestly line, to, to make sure that the next priest was guaranteed to be a Levite through and through. But God had direction for them and who they were to marry and to consider marrying someone who has set a similar model of purity as they had. And so in marriage, they were to, have an, they were to display excellence in their life. And then finally, in verse 9, we see even family members. The family members of the priests were to participate in displaying excellence and the, and the priests themselves were to have families that were excellent, if you will. And so in Deuteronomy 22, in verse 9, we read of, the da- of a daughter of a priest and she profanes herself by being a prostitute and she profanes her father and herself. And it says in verse, t- in verse 9, she will be burned with fire. Now, if you turn to Deuteronomy 22, you read that the penalty for that sin in Deuteronomy was stoning. But in Leviticus here, it was stoning and then having her body burned as well. And, and it may be hard to accept and, and understand you know, God's judgment in those things. And certainly the idea is God is wanting to protect His holiness. And in this case, the daughter is dishonoring herself, but not just herself. Sin has implications not just on you, right? And so when you sin and when I sin, it affects other people. And we know this to be true, and yet uh, we still think when we sin that, oh, that should, you know, that was my, my sin. It shouldn't have an effect on you. And we almost get frustrated with people maybe because of that. And yet the reality is that our, all of our sin, it hurts other people. No matter what it is, no matter even if it was necessarily directly against that person, sin affects other people. And certainly that was the case here. And in, in the daughter, her sin, it profaned her father and his calling, and his calling from God treating it as unworthy and, and disrespecting it. And so it's important for the priests to teach their families to know and honor and obey God. Having a family that was respected by all was important. That kind of echoing what we read in 1 Timothy 3.4 about qualifications for deacons and elders, which says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. The same idea. Spiritual leadership over a family is an important calling. And it was a requirement by Paul in the New Testament as echoed by the priests here in verse 9 of 21. And this is our second point as we walk through excellence. The second thing that the priests were to be excellent in was in their physical life. Not just in their personal life, but in their physical life. You can start to see how like every area of the priest's life is being like affected by this calling, right? It's the same as Christians. We don't get to like put certain stuff in the closet where God doesn't get to touch those things and uh, the rest of it can be public. Everything is um, at the hands of God in the priest's life and certainly in our lives. So the excellence in physical life. Now we know this truth and the point of this truth as it's practiced in society today. We look at the military. There are strict and high standards for things. Maybe, you know, joking, all joking aside, the military uh, has fairly high standards to be a part of that, right? There, and there is a standard. Not just anybody can get in. Praise God, not anybody can get in because I would not do a good job there. 
But if, if anyone's ever seen Top Gun, I don't know if you saw the new Top Gun. I haven't seen the first one, so like, you know, you guys can send your hate emails. But I just went ahead and watched the second one because they didn't have time and it was in theaters. And they say you had to watch it in theaters. So I went to watch Top Gun 2 and I was, it was a great movie, but I was looking into it afterwards just kind of watching some YouTube videos. And what I came to learn was that Tom Cruise had a very strict like training schedule for these actors, right? And you're thinking these guys are actors, right? So all they need to do is act. And yet, as I was kind of watching through some of the stuff, they had to go through quite a rigorous training schedule to even act out in Top Gun. And so they had to, in order to fly in these jets, they had to have training so that if the jets were to go down in water, they had the training to be able to survive. And so they, would, they went through the similar training as to what the Navy would have gone through in order just to act, just to act out what it would have been like, not even to actually do it, but just to act it out. You think of the high standard that they've been called to do, the sacrifices that were made to do that. Just because I love the Blue Jays doesn't mean I can play for the Blue Jays, right? Doesn't mean I can show up and be like, suit me up, put me in, coach, right? It doesn't happen that way. There are standards. There are standards. And so we know this to be true and we, we, we can joke about them, but yet there are things that we have lowered the bar for in order to just be inclusive of everybody, and uh, that reality we can struggle with at times. But we know that there is physical limitations to what we can do. And so the priests were called to physical, to excellence in their physical life. And in verses 16 through 21, we see that imperfections limited the service of the priests. Anyone with a defect was not allowed to serve or to handle the, the food that, that was given to the priest, but certainly to serve as priest as well. And in verse 18 through 20, we see that this list, that we could read through this list and, and be upset and, and frustrated with, you know, wh- why this and not this or, or whatever the case is. And the reality, you know, the simple reality is that God is creator and, and as creator, he has the right to create arbitrary laws without explanation. Not that he does that. As we've talked about God's Ten Commandments, they are, um, they are all about him. But God has a purpose and a plan in all things. And so imperfections limited the service of the priests. The second thing is that a perfect priest was required. We read about that in verse 21. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's food offering since he has a blemish. He shall not come to offer the bread of his God. A perfect offerer or priest was required. And much like a perfect priest was required, we also know that a perfect animal was required, right? There are, there are echoes of that perfect sacrifice as well. Any blemish on, an, on the animal, it was not to be offered before the Lord. And this wasn't, as we lead into our third point, imperfections were not demeaning. This is not a question of worth and value. It's not that. It's a question of God's purpose, God's intended role for the priests and, and standards that God had. So God never meant to demean or discriminate against people that have handicaps or um, disabilities or anything like that. God, that's not God's purpose in this passage. They were allowed, as you read, as you read farther through that in verse 22 to 24, if you were to read through that, you would see that they were allowed to enjoy all the blessings that the priests did. They just could not serve. So the food that was given, it was for them as well. It was, it was simply a matter of serving the function as priests that God had asked them to refrain from doing. 
They couldn't serve at the altar or in the sanctuary. And it was to protect all of these things, to protect the holiness of God and the holiness of the call that God had on the priests. And so it's not a matter of worth or value. Exclusion does not always, and doesn't, certainly in this case, doesn't mean unworthiness. And then finally, for our third point, there was excellence in partaking of the holy things or holy gifts, as some of your versions may say, and that's the remainder of chapter, or all of chapter 22, I should say. The holy things was the food that was given to the priests, the extra food that was given by God and instituted by God to provide for the priests, right? Because they didn't have jobs, they served in the temple. And so the Israelites, some of the portions of the offering were given to the priests in order for them to survive. That's how God kind of laid it out in the Old Testament. And that was that is what we're referring to in holy things or holy gifts as we read in our Bibles. In verse 1 and 2, God calls them to be careful with the holy gifts that are dedicated to God. And it's so that God's name would not be profaned. Even after the priest met the requirements for serving in his personal life and for, having, and for being perfect physically, not perfect, perfect, but you know, not without blemish, in his physical life, he was still not able to do whatever he wanted. He was still not able to do whatever he wanted. And so we see that an unclean priest could not serve. This going back to, to a, certainly our first section on mourning. But an unclean priest could not serve. We read in, in chapter 22, at least the first half, about all, some of the different things that would make a priest unclean. We've studied these things before. But if you were unclean as a priest, you could not serve God's people. You could not approach the holy gifts or the altar to serve. There was no special privileges for the priests. It wasn't like, oh, you're a priest, you're fine, you can, you know, you can continue to do that, right? And this is also very different from what we see in politics and leadership today, where we see a very high rate of abuse of power, uh, where there are these opportunities to uh, abuse those that you serve and that you work, that maybe work for you, if you will. Um, And there's this There's this temptation in leadership to abuse that power that God has given you. And we've seen a lot of that. And yet there was no special privileges for the priest. If you had any blemishes, if you came, if you became unclean, you had to stay out until you were clean. And there was no exceptions made for you just because of who you were as a priest. There's no place for that kind of abuse in God's kingdom. 1 John 3 verse 6 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The Christian life, the life of service to God, is a life that is laid down, that is in submission to God, that is self-sacrificing. That's what the life of a believer looks like. And the Bible does not specify in our section here in verse 3 what it meant to be cut off if you were to go and do that. Certainly it could have been death maybe or excommunication. We don't really know. We don't have clarity there. But if you were to break these and come in and serve in unclean, then you're to be cut off from your people as God says in verse 3. And the idea again coming around to protecting God's holiness and the things that God had designated as holy. And so in verse 4 to 7, we see that un- unclean priests, they could not eat. Any minor defilement that kept you unclean for the rest of the day, as a priest, you were to refrain from eating of the holy gifts and the food until you were unclean. Now, this is not God being mean. Like, we're talking, 
you know, you touched, some, you touched a dead animal or something and you had to wait until the end of the day to eat, right? So you're not going to starve at the, by the end of the day. You'll be fine. I don't know if anyone's gone a day without food, but it's not that bad. And that's really what God is calling. He's saying, this isn't sin, what you've done, but you're unclean. You, gotta, you have to wait in the proper process to, before becoming clean, and then you can participate again. And so it's being ceremonially, ceremonially unclean that they could not participate in eating of the food. And then finally we see, or third point rather, conditions for eligible participation. What did it mean? If I were to participate in this holy gift, who could do that? In verse 10 to 16 we see that not anybody could participate in this food as it was given to the priests. So a layman could not, a sojourner, a hired worker, those kinds of people could not participate in this blessing that God had given the priest. It was to be reserved for a slave of the family or immediate family. And so in some cases, even as we read in these verses, there would maybe be a case where uh, a priest's daughter had married and maybe she, uh, she was divorced or whatever reason her husband died and she came back home. If she had a son, she was to stay and be provided for by her son if it was a marriage outside of the priestly line. Um, but if it was something where she did not have a son, she was welcomed back into the family under her father's care, and she was able to participate. And so God is caring for uh, his people, certainly uh, in and throughout as we read of these things. But anybody who accidentally would participate, because it could happen, I suppose, that you could accidentally participate in eating of this holy food, you were to give back a, t- a fifth of that back to the priest. And so God has a judgment or a penalty for it being broken, and uh, God expects excellence, and in, in, He expects obedience as we read, and certainly as we get to in verse 9. To obey, to disobey this was to, to regard the holy things that God had said is holy as unholy, as unimportant. And so do we honor and do we hold high the things that God loves, the things that God says are important and valuable? Coming back to our question, family, human life, holiness, obedience, as Jesus says, the poor, do we value those people and those things in our lives and in so doing show how much God values those things? Finally, they were to be excellent and excellent or being excellent, sorry, excellent living. I'll just say it. Fourth point, excellent living required obedience. Verse 9, or the verse that we read at the beginning, let's read it again. Verse 9 of chapter 22. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies. These reminders are a way of saying that God's people today must keep themselves holy, that the priests must keep themselves holy, and especially those that are leading God's people, but certainly all of God's people. These are reminders to us that we are to keep ourselves holy, something that we have been reminded of and told and learned about in Leviticus. And there were times when disobedience for the priests ended in death. So the bar has been raised, if we can use that language. The bar has been raised. If it hasn't already been in Leviticus, it has been raised even further. In order to live as God's people and to live as His leaders, excellence was something that was required. Obedience and excellence was required. And we know the reality of the story as we read through the rest of our Bibles in Leviticus. You pick up and start reading. We know the rest of the story how Israel and the priests, they couldn't do it on their own, right? They couldn't do it on their own. And we read time and time again how the nation of Israel turns away from God and God sends prophets 
to turn them back to Him. Excellence can only be attained by the grace of God. Five times in these chapters, if you read through these verses later today, look for this phrase, I am the one who sanctifies, as we read in verse 9. Five times God says it after He gives commands to the priests, I'm the one who sanctifies. God and the grace of God, God is the one who sanctifies, not the priests. God knew that they could not live up to the standard, and yet He was calling them to holiness and to excellence. And it was important, excellence was important, because God's name is at stake, and it was at stake, His reputation. Their excellence had a direct effect on God. If they were unclean, God's name would be defiled and dishonored. Not that God became any less of God if they didn't live obediently, but His name and His reputation to the world, He would have been dishonored. If those who follow God do not care about holiness, then how is anyone to think that God Himself would care about those things either? And so the same goes for us when we live in unrepentant sin. When we don't take seriously the things, the way that God has called us to live are the things that God loves. So the bar has been set. And Christ is the only one who meets that bar. And so our conclusion this morning is that Christ is our excellent perfect and perfect mediator and high priest. See, God does not lower the standard as He sets it here in Leviticus. He doesn't lower the standard because He knows His people are not going to live up to it. You and I, we can't live up to it. God doesn't lower and bring that bar down to like what's manageable for you. What can you do? How obedient can you be to me? Christ meets that bar on our behalf. Christ lived up to God's laws perfectly so that He could be a perfect sacrifice for sinners. And that's the gospel. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. Your neighbor cannot do it. Your family, your friends, nobody can do it. Nobody can live excellently in their own power. Somebody did that for you. And we've said this many times at Grace over the course of the year studying through Leviticus. We've said this many times. That is by the grace of God that you do these things and that you cannot do it in and of yourself no matter how hard you try. So going out and trying harder is not going to earn results. Relying on Christ and on God and seeing Him as beautiful in the gospel, that will. And appreciating Him and loving Him and pursuing Him. Because holiness is not about behavior. It's about an obedience either. It's about who we have affections for and who we love. The only way to be right with God and to be justified before Him is to place your faith in Christ, in the one who did that for you and who lived God's law perfectly for you. Christ has met God's standard, and as we sing, Christ took on the wrath of God that the priests stayed for the Israelites. Christ took on that wrath for you and I in our sin. And it's a beautiful thing the gospel is. And so after seeing that, and after you see that and believe it, then you can start to lean into the strength that God provides through the Holy Spirit as He works in you. So if you haven't placed your faith in Him, now is the, the time to place your faith in Christ and to believe in the sacrifice that Christ paid for you by living perfectly and dying on the cross for your sin. If you haven't believed that, then you need to make that decision and believe that. But if you've already done that, then be blessed this morning once again by the reality that you have a Savior that lived a perfect life for you 
something that you couldn't do, and as a result, sacrificed that life for you so that you could display the wonderful mercies of God in your life and where God has called you to live right now. As God gave His very best excellence, God gave His very best for you, the response could only be, how can we turn to God and give our best to Him this morning and as we go from here? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful and grateful to come together as your people and to celebrate the work that is done, has been done for us on the cross. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you that he unites us. We thank you for the love that is seen for us, a love that is so great that the skies cannot contain it if it was written on a scroll and spread out. God, it's such a beautiful truth, your love for us as displayed in the gospel. And so, God, we're so grateful for that this morning. We pray that you would help us to see our calling as holy priests and as a holy nation, as people and servants of you, God. We pray that we would be reminded of the sacrifice and and that our lives are not our own anymore. God, that serving you and loving you and knowing you is going to come at a cost. And we're, we're grateful for that because there's been such a greater cost paid for us and for our life and for our salvation and our eternal life. And so, God, we thank you for that gift this morning. Help us to live excellently, knowing that you give us the strength to do that, knowing that there is grace and mercy for us at the cross and in your Son when we fail to do that. God, we are so grateful for you and for what you have done in the way that you have made for us to be right and justified before you, God. It is all a display of your love for us, which we're reminded of this morning. We thank you for it, God, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen.